the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Good morning to you. Thanks for being with us. It is indeed Always Right Radio, AM 1420, the answer at nine minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. And uh, we've got a lot of work to do today. We're getting a little echo there. We'll see if we can eliminate that. I think it might. It's still there for some reason. We'll fix that. Uh, Maybe you're not hearing it, but I am. Uh, But yeah, big day today. It is a Thursday, the 25th morning of the first month in the year of our Lord 2024. And coming up in about a half an hour, we're going to talk to former congressman and former gubernatorial candidate, Jim Renacci, also former Senate candidate, so uh, he's got a little bit of experience in campaigns and races. We're going to tap his brain and get his thoughts on what's happening uh, in the Senate race, uh, the three-way race between Marino, LaRose, and Dolan. Uh, we're also going to talk to him about a state state house race in Medina GOP. He, of course, is the chair of the Medina GOP. So we're going to talk to him about a race between uh, Sharon Ray and Gary Fox, and that uh, that's a primary coming up on March 19th. And we're going to get his thoughts yesterday on yesterday's passage of the override, by the way, of the uh, uh, governor's veto on the SAFE Act. So we're going to talk to Jim Renacci coming up at 9.35. At 10.10, Dr. Everett Piper has a host of issues that he wants to address, not only his couple of columns in the Washington Times um, that we talk about each and every week with uh, – Jim Renacci, but uh, he's got a lot of other things on his mind and on his chest that he wants to unload, and I'm looking forward to that conversation. At 1035, we're going to get our first real taste of what's going to happen at Neoka. What's Neoka? It's the Northeast Ohio Classical Academy. It is the Hillsdale Barney Charter School. It is a free charter school. There is no tuition for it, so it kind of acts like a private school, but you don't have to pay for it. And it is opening. There are a few of these in Ohio. There are a few dozen of these around the Midwest, and they're growing in popularity. Is it the answer 
to, well, let me, I don't want to ask that as a question. I'm going to say it. It's the answer to the dilemma between government schools, which is what public schools are, government schools, and um, some of the private schools that have high tuitions that people cannot afford. You want to get your kid into a classical education where literally education is the core, not indoctrination, none of the wokeness. I promise you there will be no pronoun games. I promise you there will be no secrets or hidden agendas. There will be no books on shelves that are inappropriate for kids at their ages, and parents will be in the loop all of the time. They're taking applications for spots in the first classes, K through 5, at Neoka. Uh, right now. So I'm looking forward to talking to Bob Anthony, who is uh, one of the uh, founders of this uh, particular school, and Dr. David Baum, who's going to be the first headmaster of the school, uh, or head of school, I think they're calling him. That'll be coming up at 1035. So Jim Renacy, Dr. Everett Piper, Bob Anthony, and Dr. David Baum will join us this morning. And we do have a lot of things to discuss. Before we get into the news of the day, what do you say? And I'm going to run them all down for you uh, after we do our Pledge of Allegiance. Patriots, if you still believe in the majesty and the glory and the uh, liberty of this country, the exceptionalism of this country, then let's pledge allegiance to the flag that represents her. And if you uh, do not, don't fake it. If you are a supporter of the illegal immigration that's going on, if you're a supporter of the lawless Biden administration, don't pretend you care about the country or its people. Just take a knee over there protesting this country like the other socialists, Marxists, and communists. For the rest of us, however, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot. I want to run down a whole bunch of the things we're going to get into before we get into the specifics of them, because I don't want you to. I want you to make sure you're listening later when we get to the story that most uh, matters most to you. But here's what's on the uh, uh, topic list for today. Governor Greg Abbott is a real one. Governor Greg Abbott of the state of Texas gives me Governor Envy, the same kind of Governor Envy I get when I see Governor Ron DeSantis, and sometimes when I see Governor Christy Noem. There are a few governors uh, out there, Kevin Stitt in Oklahoma, there are a few governors out there that do things the right way, and they do them for the right reasons, and we look and we have Mike DeWine. The man who vetoed the SAFE Act, the man who vetoed the Save Women Sports Act, the man who uh, just completely said, I don't care about chemically castrating kids. I don't care uh, about what the consequences are when they try to kill themselves after they realize what they've done and we let them do. He didn't care. I don't care if girls lose opportunities in sports, and I don't care if girls have to see guys' packages in their uh, in their restrooms and locker rooms and shower rooms. I don't care. He vetoed a common-sense protection for children bill. That's our governor. Texas says Greg Abbott. I'm very, very jealous. We must back that man. We're going to talk about that. Border Patrol agents, they're speaking out. The Border Patrol agent union president, Brandon Judd, said, we don't want to be cutting razor wire. This isn't something we chose to do. Please don't hold it against us. Our people are just doing what the president orders us to do. So they don't want to be doing, they want you to know that they're on, and this is exactly why the the, the diversity hire that is Corrine uh, Jean-Pierre is so pathetic and weak. And I mean literally pathetic and weak. Because the diversity hire keeps trying to tell us <laughs> that that Republicans want the border disaster 
and that all we have to do to solve it is is pass a funding bill. Just agree to spend money in Ukraine, agree to spend money in Israel, and then we'll give you some money to hire more Border Patrol agents. Well, the Border Patrol agents are being told to cut razor wire. They're being told to allow the people in and process them. So it's not about getting more agents. Agents aren't being allowed to be agents. They're Walmart greeters. Come on in. Nice to see you. Welcome in. That's what they've done. So the the diversity hire uh, continues to tell us that it's the Republicans who want this open. Kamala Harris says says the same thing. Oh, the Republicans want the doors open because, uh, you know, uh, this gives them something to run in in November and say Biden's left the door open. It's pathetic. So the border agents are, are speaking out. Governor Ron DeSantis has jumped into publicly backed Texas. We're going to talk about that. All red state governors need to join in solidarity with Governor Greg Abbott, who's putting himself and maybe even his freedom on the line. Kamala Harris says, open the border. Keep the border open. Grant them all citizenship. She's only hopeful that they can do it by November. So we're going to talk about all of those things having to do with immigration, because it is the number one issue, and this is being borne out by the polls, the number one issue for Americans. Elsewhere, Kamala Harris, or I beg your pardon, that we just did the Kamala Harris part. Transing doesn't work. This goes back to the safe fact, but it goes so much further than that, than that. Watching and reading the lunatics online, complaining and screaming and shrieking, and I absolutely love it, by the way. The leftists are so livid that Ohio's Senate yesterday did what Ohio's House did on January 10th and protected kids, protected children from the barbarism of, of experimentation. Castration first, cross-sex hormone second, sexual and bodily mutilation third, and the left is freaking out about it. How dare you deny these parents the right to mutilate their kids? They don't seem to understand that we have laws against child abuse and chemically castrating a child and then physically mutilating them when they don't know any better because they're kids. That's child abuse. And they're online freaking out. And I posted, and it got a lot of of action. I posted a tweet that simply said, Their shrieking soothes my soul. The sound of their screams is music to my ears. It is glorious. Because if they're angry that kids are being protected, you know doggone well we're doing it right. But moreover, what they're screaming is is that this is going to lead to dead kids. Don't you know that the Trevor Project says that suicidal ideation increases when parents and schools and doctors don't give gender-affirming care to a trans kid? K-E-R-R-A-P-P. Crap is exactly what that is. That is just pure, unadulterated trash. The largest study of its kind that was ever done was a Swedish study that shows, and we're going to talk about it specifically, that people who have undergone that surgery when they started the process before they were adults and then gotten the surgery when they were adults, the only long-term study that has been done shows that those individuals are 20 times more likely to kill themselves than the general population of the same age. They know what they've done is irreversible, and it was a disaster, and it was the wrong thing to do, to be experimented upon, and to, and to, be, to be allowed to or encouraged to do this. They're killing themselves. Transing doesn't work, not ever, but it does kill people. And we're going to hit that. 
New York Times has an article out. They're normalizing Trump. They're free, freaking out. The general election has pretty much started. Nikki Haley can deny it all she wants, but the general election is underway, and the New York Times is freaking out that they're normalizing Trump. Rod Dreher wrote a phenomenal piece in response. Here's what the normalized Biden looks like. You don't know. You don't remember everything that has happened in the first three years of the Biden administration and what we have come to accept as normal. Because we have no choice. Because this is all the media will give us is what Biden does. And it is it is beyond bizarre. It is not normal. There is nothing normal about what's happening in this country right now. Roger's piece is phenomenal. I've already tweeted it. And I've already Facebooked it. And if you haven't seen it, you should see it. Because it's real. Also, the presidential inflation rate. Most people don't know what that is. The regular inflation rate is usually is measured month over month, year by year. But there is a presidential inflation rate that was calculated from day one of a president's term to, and I think the most recent uh, 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 measure that they have here is from the summer, this past summer, so like July or something like that. So that would be, what, two and a half years into Biden's term. So they measured it day one to basically two and a half years into a term to see what has happened to all of the various uh, inflation numbers during that period of time. They did it for Biden. They did it for Trump. They did it for Obama. They did it for Bush. They did it for Clinton. They went all the way back to uh, Carter, I believe it was. The numbers will astound you. No, my friends, no, you are not better off than you were four years ago. We're going to talk about that. The Federalist, by the way, with a terrific uh, piece to really make sure that you know what we are in for right now. Also, there are no laws in California. A woman was stabbed, or excuse me, a woman stabbed a man 108 times the judge said, no prison, you're good, see ya. Why? Because the judge classified it as involuntary due to the fact that she was high. You you heard that? Yeah? She was smoking weed, doing bong rips, and that led to a case of temporary psychosis, according to the judge. Murder is now legal in California. And that's all you need to know, except for the fact that Ohio is becoming California. We just passed the let's let everybody get high uh, uh, amendment. We just brought that to the state of Ohio. We just brought the constitutional amendment procedure, the direct democracy procedure, rather than the representative republic form of government that is so pervasive in California. We just brought it to Ohio. That should concern you. We're going to talk about that. Charlie Kirk is being called a racist for pointing out the obvious regarding pilots. Charlie Kirk posted or uh, posted a, or made a comment re- actually in a video that essentially said uh, if I see a black pilot I'm going to be wondering is he qualified he's not saying this because he's racist that's what uh, Hannah Nicole Jones or Nicole Hannah Jones wants you to think the founder of the uh, 1619 project but Charlie Kirk said I'm sorry if I see a black pilot I'm going to be like boy I hope he's qualified Charlie said this of course because airlines are openly announcing they are not going to hire the most qualified pilots. They are going to hire based on quotas. You have to have a certain number of people of the certain co- a certain color. You have to have a certain number of people who have up, who are of a certain sex. Just literally saying we're going to hire for color and diversity and for uh, equity and all the other nonsense, not based on the top qualifications. Charlie Kirk just said the obvious. I would wonder too. 
Same thing in a, in a, in a, in a uh, medical procedure. If you know that medical schools are giving spots, and they are in their classes, to people who didn't qualify based on their merit, their grades, and their academic and uh, um, um, intelligence capacity, they didn't get in for those things. They got in because they needed to have a quota filled. You ready to lay down on a table and give a scalpel to somebody that you have no earthly idea if they're qualified or if they just got in on their color or their sex or whatever other characteristics the characteristic they're looking for for inclusivity? That's not racism. That's not sexism. That's not any ism. That's not any bigotry. That is personal protection, and it's completely understandable. And finally, Israel has agreed to a ceasefire for two months to release all hostages. Well, they're about to agree to it. I'm hoping they still change their mind. We don't need a ceasefire. We need increased fire. Hamas has already made it clear. They're coming back for more. They are going to build on what they call a great victory of October 7th. This isn't me. This isn't some you know pundit. It's not some pro-Israel Zionist. This is the leader of Hamas who makes his home comfortably distanced from Gaza in Qatar. And he said, we are going to build upon what we did on October 7th. So the moment there is a ceasefire, and they're calling for about a two-month ceasefire is what this one is, that the uh, Israelis are about to agree to, that they're going to, what do you think is going to happen? When they just had a, what, 72-hour or so ceasefire the last time, what did Hamas do during the ceasefire? They kept launching rockets into Israel. Fortunately, most of them were were, uh, intercepted by the Iron Dome, but they just just kept doing it. What do you think is going to happen if we uh, if if uh, IDF puts down their uh, weapons for for uh, for two months? And by the way, it wouldn't just be here's a ceasefire, give us our hostages back. It's once again, once again, a requirement that Israel release not hostages. They hold no Palestinian or Hamas hostages. They hold prisoners who have been tried and convicted for terrorist activities. They get to re- or they have to release. A whole bunch of those from Israeli jails in order to get the hostages that were taken in an act of terrorism out of the Gaza terror tunnels. It is a terrible deal, and I hope Benjamin Netanyahu wakes up in time to reject it. All right, so that's what we're going to run down today. I've got so much of that information just ready to go, but we also have conversations with Jim Renacy, Dr. Everett Piper, Bob Anthony, and Dr. David Baum to come today. In addition to your calls at 216-901-0945, Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, yes, indeed it is. That's who we are. That's what we are. It's what we do. And welcome. Appreciate you being with us. So uh, a lot of stuff going on in the state of Ohio right now. We had an override yesterday, extraordinarily important. We'll talk a little bit about that. we got a big Senate race coming up in the primary in the Republican Party. We also have a couple of other interesting races. One is in Medina County for a statehouse spot uh, with a member of the um, <clears throat> Trans Dems. Or, if you prefer, Blue 22 uh, being challenged by somebody who is not one of those things. Uh, we're going to talk about all of it with our friend Jim Renacci. Jim Renacci is, of course, a former congressman, a former Senate and gubernatorial candidate, and he's the head of the Medina County GOP. Congressman, good to have you back. How are you? Good, Bob. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on, and uh, hope your listeners and you are all doing well. 
We are, absolutely. Hey, um, let's do a little plugola here real quick. Let's talk about the Lincoln Day dinner uh, coming up on March 2nd at the Galaxy. You guys have put a phenomenal program together, and we want people to know to get their tickets now before they're sold out. What can you tell us? Well, thanks, uh, Bob, for that. And look, the uh, Botanic County Republican Party tries to bring in speakers, not politicians, people who give insight and uh, one of those is, of course, Dennis Prager. We had him in a few years back. He, uh, we sold out. We had no seats available, but we're bringing him back. I think it's a perfect time. Uh, he can talk about his uh, views on Israel, on the presidential race, and just a lot of things. And anybody who misses this, I've heard so many people that were there four years ago said this was uh, uh, one of the best uh, events they've been to to listen to and uh, I hope uh, your audience uh, is interested and is willing to come March 2nd at the Galaxy in Wadsworth www.medinagop.org to get tickets and uh, it's, it's one of those events you don't want to miss yeah, I completely agree. If, uh, a lot of people listening to us right now have been to events that Dennis Prager has done, you know, whether it's part of the Battleground Talkers tours where he is there with myself and Peter Kersenow and a number of other Salem hosts and, uh, and or, or individual events. If you've seen Dennis on stage, you know it is an experience uh, you really want to be a part of because, as Jim just said, he's not a politician, and he's not going to talk about all politics. He's going to talk about culture. He's going to talk about what makes this country what it is and uh, how it impacts our our lives. He'll talk about the Bible, He'll talk about, like he said, Israel and other things. So it's going to be a great event. March 2nd, as uh, Jim just said, go to medinagop.org to get your tickets. I will be there. I'll have a role. Not exactly sure what my defined role will be, but it'll be something. I can promise you, and I'm looking forward to seeing everybody there. Get your tickets now at medinagop.org. Okay, um, former Senate candidate against Sherrod Brown, Jim Renacci. Uh It's time to take another run at this guy, Bernie Marino. Frank LaRose, Matt Dolan are all in. Did you watch the debate? I'm sure you did on Monday night. Let me rephrase the question. What did you think of the debate on Monday night? Well, I did watch the debate, and the concern is, uh, you know, and, and I've been asked by many people, who do you thought, who do you think won? And my answer is I don't think any of the three won. I do think they distinguished themselves <laughs> from each other in many ways, but I'm not sure they won over, in my opinion, the hearts and soul uh, any of them. Now, if you're one of their fans, you're going to say they won. I get that. But I look at it from a standpoint of an objective. Who can beat Sherrod Brown? And, and, Bob, the one thing that really frustrates me is that we can have all the positions we want, but what I never hear is, what are you going to do when you get down there being one of 100 and trying to get things accomplished? That's the real question that needs to be answered because otherwise – what happens is these candidates, they say what they're going to do, uh, and they talk, you know, policy, but then they get down there and they just go into their island. And they, they stay there for as many years as they want, but nothing gets accomplished. And, and that's the big concern I have. I want to hear, what are you going to do? What are you going to do different? And how are you going to make a difference for Ohio and our nation? And, and those are the questions I think voters really need to hear. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and I said that to both uh, Bernie and Frank. I can't get Matt Dolan on the line. I think he knows I'm not necessarily his number one fan, but I want to give him a fair shake here. I really do. 
and let him talk. But um, I talked to Bernie and Frank about it in the last two days, and I and I kind of asked the same thing. You know, what is your goal? What are your top priorities when you get there? And then number two is how do you expect to do it when you are just only you know one vote out of a hundred? Yes, you can sponsor legislation, and yes, you can co-sponsor with things that are coming over from the House and so forth. But how do you plan to make those things work? Um, that's the challenge everybody is running for office has. Um, for the race part of this, Congressman, you know, you ran against Jared, and we've talked about uh, what happened and how you lost, and we know the circumstances in which you entered that race were less than ideal, as you were essentially talked out of running for governor by the uh, by the Trump administration to go back and, and, and to go take a shot at Sherrod. And you pointed out afterward, it, it is, and the statistics prove this, very, very hard to unseat an incumbent. But why is it so hard for him? Why is it? Why is Sherrod Brown now three terms in and looking strong as he goes for a fourth in a state that continues to vote red? How does Sherrod Brown continue to do this? What makes him so tough? Well, it's interesting, and it's a great question. One thing I learned six years ago when I ran, and, and I would sit down with Republicans across the state, donors across the state. They would all say, you know what, uh, Renacy, I believe in all your policies and positions. And by the way, I got 97% of the Republican vote. So, uh, But at the same time, here's what I heard from Republicans. I heard them say, you're, you're, you have an uphill battle because Sherrod comes to my office. He's well-liked. He has, uh, you know, this political relationship that's very tough to beat. And I'll tell you a real quick story for your listeners. I know a very strong conservative Republican who went down to Washington in the last three months tried to meet with J.D. Vance, could not get in J.D. Vance's office. So went over to Sherrod Brown's office. Not only did Sherrod Brown see him, talk to him, agreed that they were on opposite ends, but also agreed that, um, uh, that, that he was appreciative, that he came in. And then three days later, Sherrod Brown sent him a personal note thanking him for coming in. Hmm. That's the retail politics that makes a difference. And that staunch conservative said to me, I'm not voting for Sherrod, but i got to tell you, it sure helps when a guy at least is willing to listen. Um, and it's, it's, it's one thing that Sherrod Brown does very, very well. By the way, the other thing he does very well, and this is the one problem we have in this state, um, he, we have 88 counties, but you really only need to win seven counties. Go back to my race, seven out of 88 to win this race. If you go back, you'll see he won seven out of 88 and beat me. And Sherrod Brown has a good, strong a hold on those seven counties, and the, and the Ohio GOP has done nothing, and the National Re- Republican Party has done nothing to build up a base in those seven counties, yet Sheriff Brown does have a strong base in those seven counties. We would call them Democrat counties, but you got to remember, Cuyahoga County, Summit County, all these counties, they're strong Democrat bases, but they have a lot of Republicans and a lot of independents, and in Ohio, independents will make the decision in the end. We're talking to a former congressman, Jim Renacy, who ran against Sherrod Brown uh, last time around and uh, and did not win, even though he won a, such an overwhelming majority of the counties. You, you make a great point. So tell me about these candidates and which has the best opportunity to shake that. Um, 
I mean, Frank LaRose obviously has won statewide elections. In fact, he was reelected to his position as Secretary of State by an overwhelming margin, so there's appeal and name recognition there. Bernie Moreno doesn't have the name recognition Frank LaRose does, but he does have the all-important Trump endorsement from a guy who won Ohio twice in 16 and 20 by over eight points. Very popular. His endorsement carries a lot of weight here. Uh, and then Matt Dolan, who, of course, is a state senator, and the name, of course, is is very well known because he has served there. Which of them is best positioned? You don't have to tell me which person you like the best, but which of them, which of those qualifications, the Trump endorsement versus the Dolan name versus the LaRose name recognition, which is best positioned for, for Sherrod? What's interesting, and I've met with all three of them, and, it's, and it would be great if Matt Dolan got on your show, too, because um, I, I actually asked him to come see me because he seemed to be hiding from me as well. But I had a great conversation with him, and uh, so, look, you have three candidates. You have one with a Trump endorsement, but let's face it, the Trump endorsement has a ceiling. That ceiling is anywhere and uh, between 32 points and 40 points. And I think all three will say that. I mean, Bernie Marino may not say that, but that is uh, factual. The Trump endorsement has a ceiling, and we saw that with J.D. Vance in the last Senate race. J.D. Vance got 32% of the vote with the Trump endorsement. Um, but we had other conservative candidates in that race. So I think, you know, it could go as high as 40, which leaves 60 percent open. You, then, but, but Bernie does not have the name ID that Frank LaRose has. Frank has tremendous name ID. Bernie has more money. Frank has, um, you know, more name ID. And then you got Dolan, who also has money and some name ID. Name ID can be bought, and you're seeing Dolan starting to put some commercials out there. You're also seeing Frank starting to do that as well. So in the end, and I tell everybody this, it is who knows you best. And I think the problem that somebody like Bernie would have, and even Matt Dolan has, and even Jim Renacci had in 2018, I traveled the state. I spent money. I had already been around the state. But our polling after the race showed that only 30% of independents knew who Jim Renacci was. And that's the reason they didn't vote for me, because people vote for somebody they know and they like. The problem these three individuals have is, yeah, the Republican Party is going to know who they are, but we have a crossover state, and the crossover vote is going to be very important. I mean, people complained about New Hampshire and said, oh, they have a crossover. No, Republicans had to vote for Republicans. Democrats had to vote for Democrats, and independents could jump in in any, in any race they wanted to. In Ohio, anybody can jump in anywhere. So you've got Democrat crossover, you've got independent crossover in Ohio, and I believe that's going to make a difference. I saw that in, 20, in, in my race against the governor, but I also see it as an ongoing thing until we get that fixed. So who has the best name ID and who has the most money normally is why the incumbent always wins, and I think the advantage right now would always go to the person who has the most name ID, uh, which is which. And, and again, this is an endorsement. I'm just using uh, the, the the name ID goes to Frank LaRose because he's won two statewide elections. Bernie's starting to get that name ID. Dolan will get it too. But the question is, who can get the name ID, and then who can be liked the best? And knowing that the Trump ceiling is probably 32 to 40 percent, um, who's, who's going to be able to get the, to the 40 or 50 percent needed to win this race? 
Yeah, those are those are uh, very very important points, and certainly astute analysis. We're talking to Jim Renacci about the Senate race. I want to pivot to uh, one of the House races that is interesting in the primary coming up in Medina County, and as you lead the Medina County GOP, uh, I know you're very interested in this. Sharon Ray is the incumbent. She's being challenged by Gary Fox, who says she is no conservative, uh, has complained about a number of things that she has done or not done with uh, respect to uh, issues in Medina County, including a a uh, bizarre little uh, showdown over a gazebo that held some trans kid story hour type thing that Sharon uh, Ray did not oppose, and Gary Fox certainly did not like that. Tell me about that race between the upstart and the incumbent. Well, look, uh, in the Medina County GOP uh, does not get involved in uh, contested primaries. I know Sharon's um, not happy with that because I do know she would she would like to have the support, but I also believe she knows that She's the incumbent. She has the name ID. She's going to have the money. Um, it's hard to defeat an incumbent. Uh, I've told Gary that. Uh, you know, I like Sharon. I like Gary. I like them both. Uh, politically, they're, they're going to have to put their positions out there. And uh, it's hard to defeat an incumbent. Gary uh, also lacks what I think is, I just said, in the Senate race. He's got to have name ID. People have to know who he is to win. And that's why incumbents win 97% of the time because they have the name ID. And quite frankly, Bob, the biggest problem I have with our voters is they don't really get enough information. They, we, even some of the strongest Republican voters are uninformed voters. They don't know how people voted. And even people coming into the races, uh, they, 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 they don't have a voting record. They don't look back at their history. Everybody has history. You know, uh, whether it's Gary or Bernie, who's never voted, they have history, and you've got to look back at their history. What were their positions in the past? What did they do in the past when they weren't elected? And you'll find some very interesting things, and sometimes you'll realize that maybe they're a stronger candidate or a weaker candidate because of their past history. We don't do enough of that either. I wish voters would become more informed um, in these races. And in this race in Medina County, it's the exact same thing. Sharon has a voting record. Gary's done some things before. Um, all of this needs to be looked at, and people need to make their decision. Um, thank you for that, and I understand you're not getting involved in that. And as a as a GOP, a Madonna kind of GOP, you, you don't do that, uh, even though both of them would certainly love to have some sort of statement of support. You're right. She's got the name, and she's got the incumbency. So, uh, and then Gary's got a you know he's got a record that she rather she has a record that he can certainly run against. So I get it. Um, I want to ask you about the override yesterday. January 10th, the House did it. January 24th, the Senate did it. Mike DeWine now has that badge of shame that he's got to wear, that he vetoed something that was so overwhelmingly popular, and he knew it because they had override numbers when the original bill was passed, the SAFE Act and the Save Women's Sports Act. Uh, what are your thoughts on the override and the fact that Mike DeWine was willing to defy the entire representation in the uh, State House? Or in the, well, in the okay, State it's Capitol, one of the reasons rather. I ran against... Yeah, it's one of the reasons I ran against Mike DeWine. He is, in many ways, he's just not a Republican. Uh, look back, even in the Senate race, uh, when he was a senator, he, you know, he voted against the Sanctity of Marriage Act. I mean, if you look at his history, this is what I've always said. If you look at these people's history, you would not vote for them. But the problem in um, Ohio, again, is this crossover vote, and Democrats can cross over. And, you know, and, and it's a joke when Mike, they say, well, Mike DeWine won by an overwhelming margin in the general election. Well, of course he did, because that Nan Whaley was a horrible, horrible Democratic candidate to put up, 
And, I mean, the Democrats weren't going to support her. So, yeah, Mike DeWine got an overwhelming uh, 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 endorsement of Democrat voters, even in the general election, and they, and they, and they reelected him. But, look, this should never happen. No Republican governor should have ever vetoed it. And what makes it worse is he turns around and vetoes it, and then a couple days later does an executive order trying to cover up the mistake that he made. And it was so ridiculous. But we're stuck with him. Voters, uh, I'm glad the override occurred. This should never happen in a Republican state, a conservative state. We should never have a governor uh, vetoing that bill. But he did. Um, and again, it's. Uh, I hope that people look very closely in the future at who they elect. Because here's the perfect example. Mike DeWine has always been um, uh, a pay-for-play type of governor, and he's always returned favors. And i got to tell you, Bob, I, I talked to so many Republican donors who said, Jim Renese, you would make the better governor. But look, you know what? I, I get contracts out of the state, and I get this and I get that. Um, it's just amazing the way our system works in Ohio, and I hope we can correct that as well. Um. Congressman Jim Renacci is our guest. One final thing, I want to go outside the state here to talk about a governor, though. Since you just pointed out the weakness of ours, and I completely concur, which is why I supported you for governor, and I'm still livid over Joe Blystone's participation, his propping up by Bob Paducic. You don't have to comment on this, by the way. Uh, and uh, the the uh, ability for people to cross over, as you pointed out, in an open primary and screw the whole thing up. So we're stuck with this guy. Meanwhile, in Florida, they have Ron DeSantis, and in Texas, they have Greg Abbott. You know the story as well as anybody else does right now. Greg Abbott is doing what the Biden administration will not do, and that's trying to protect the people of Texas. He has a responsibility and an oath to do so. So he has been putting up barriers, buoys in the river, and uh, razor wire uh, on the banks and uh, uh, along the border, about 30-plus miles of it, to try to stop the invasion. And you know what happened. The Supreme Court said, um, at least for now, the federal government can cut those wires and allow those people to come in. Greg Abbott responded with, quote, James Madison, Alexander Hamilton, and the other visionaries who wrote the U.S. Constitution foresaw that states should not be left to the mercy of a lawless president who does nothing to stop external threats like cartels smuggling millions of illegal immigrants across the border. He cited Article 4, Section 4, which says the federal government shall protect each state against invasion, and Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3, 3 that says states have a sovereign interest in protecting their borders. Jim Renacci. What are your thoughts on what Greg Abbott is doing right now, and how will this play out? Well, look, I think uh, what Governor Abbott is doing is exactly right. He needs to protect his borders. The federal government is supposed to have limited powers, not overwhelming powers. Uh, I'm very disappointed. I mean, every state should, every governor, I'm surprised DeWine hasn't done this yet, but every conservative governor should be standing up for, for, for what uh, Governor Abbott is doing. Um, and uh, I, I think uh, every state should have that right. You know, I, I will throw in a little caveat. I'm all, I was always disappointed that Governor Abbott endorsed Mike DeWine, um, and uh, I guess i got to give him, i, I got to bypass that because what he's doing right now is really, really good, and he should. He should protect his borders. He should do whatever is necessary, and it's one of those reasons why I believe so much in states' rights. Uh, the federal government should get, not get involved. You know, when they eliminated Roe versus Wade in the, on the federal side, I thought that was perfect. You put it back into the state's hands. I do not think, by the way, I'm a little disappointed in all three of the candidates 
for Senate who said we should get involved because I think the state should get involved in, in so many of these things. We need to have strong states' rights, and the federal government needs to have limited power and less power. Um, clarify that for me. When you say you're disappointed in all three candidates, saying that the, the federal government should get involved, you're saying that the federal government should not have any role on securing the border? It should be up to Texas and, and New Mexico and Arizona and to California? Oh, no, no. I was I was talking about abortion. They they, they, oh. they were talking about getting back involved in abortion. I'm sorry. Got I it. Missed, okay. Missed no, that no, that's okay. You yeah. you did reference Roe versus Wade, so I get it. Yeah, I just didn't follow yeah. your train of thought there. I thought we were still on the on the on the Abbott issue. Okay. So, yeah, that's that's a very fair point. I agree. Uh, it, it, it is where it should be, which is in the state's uh, hands. And each state should be able to decide for itself. Unfortunately, we saw what happens when you get that. Uh, and in issue one, our state has decided abortion on demand up until the moment of birth. It's sad, but it's a reality. Um, and as it pertains to the issue in Texas, I agree with you. Mike DeWine and every red state governor should be standing in solidarity, not not just symbolically either, but they should go down there and have a giant presser with him. Every single red state governor should stand with him and say, we support this man being able to protect his state and his people. The people of Texas are Americans, but they're also Texans. And if the American president won't protect them on that basis, then the Texas governor should protect them on his basis. So, uh, well, I, I don't. And remember, but, Ohio is affected as those people come across the border and, and the drugs are coming fast and the cartel is pushing them. They end up in Ohio as well. Every governor, every governor, not just the conservatives, but at least the conservative governor should be down there standing with him. Uh, it would be something I would be doing, and it's something that definitely Mike DeWine should be doing. 100%, 100% agree. That's what's got to happen. Congressman Jim Renacci, great thoughts. And, again, I'll remind people as we close to get to the website uh, and get your tickets for the Medina County GOP Lincoln Dinner. It's medinagop.org, medinagop.org. You'll see the 2024 Lincoln Day Dinner banner right there on the homepage, an evening with Dennis Prager. I will be there and have a role in this. There's going to be a lot of other guest speakers, Jim Renacci, of course. Uh, get your tickets now. It's March 2nd at the Galaxy in Wadsworth, and we want to pack that place up, show up and show out uh, in support of all of our very important values and principles. Dennis Prager is a phenomenal speaker. You're going to love this, so make sure you get your tickets now. Congressman Renacci, good to have you. Thank you, sir. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Bob, and uh, you have a great day as well. You do the same. All right, there you go. It's 9.56. We'll take our time out here. Then we're going to come back and uh, continue the culture war battle with Dr. Everett Piper, who is a general in... We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host... Bob France. All right, hour number two is underway now, seven minutes past 10 o'clock on this Thursday, the 25th morning of the first month. The year of our Lord is 2024. Thanks again to Jim Renacci. A lot of important stuff that we covered there. We have a lot of stuff to cover with uh, Dr. Everett Piper. Normally we have two topics, sometimes three, and the first two are usually his columns, but we've got like six things to discuss here, so we've got to dive right in. Dr. Piper is a best-selling author. He is a former university president. He's a twice-weekly columnist, as mentioned, with the Washington Times. He has a radio podcast show called The Rebellion, which you can uh, get anywhere you get podcasts. He is also... Um, the uh, commissioner, rather, in Osage County, Oklahoma. And Dr. Everett Piper joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, doctor, how are you? I'm doing great today, Bob. Thanks for having me on. 
I, I, I normally start with your columns, but um, we, we have to talk about this cartoon. I was blown away. Uh, you made it uh, made me aware of this, um, and now I see it all over the place on Twitter as it starts to go viral. A new children's show coming out on Amazon Prime, uh, twisting the creation story to make God the enemy, Satan the hero. Holy goodness! I know they're trying to get our kids, but Jiminy Christmas, this is a new, this is a new low. What can you tell us? Well, this isn't uh, an isolated incident. The first thing I need to say: this right. uh, movement of elevating Satanism uh, through the Satanic Temple in your local public schools is a movement that's sweeping the nation right now, and people need to be aware of this. Now, the interesting thing about the Satanist Temple is that they claim they don't even believe in Satan. They argue that what they're doing is uh, just freedom of expression. If Christians can have their place in the public square, then so should we. And we really don't believe in Satan as a literal character, uh, a reality. We just believe that he's a symbol of free thinking, that in the biblical narrative, Satan was the first one to think freely. So the story of uh, Satan's rebellion is not a negative story, it's actually a positive story. The story of the of Eve taking and eating of the apple, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, is a good story. It's not a bad story, because, you know, we acquired knowledge uh, of right and wrong and good and evil. We elevated ourselves above and beyond being told what to think all the time via that narrative. You see what I'm saying right now? This is the worldview of paganism. This is the worldview of radical sect secularism. This is the worldview of elevating self above God. And it's it's not unique to this one story of this cartoon that's coming out. It's a broader narrative that's taking place across culture and in your local public schools. And we need to attend to it and recognize this is what your kids are being taught. Yeah, it is in all of those places. And you're right, it's not the first, but this is just, I don't know, it might be the most blatant, the most egregious. We knew they were coming for our kids. We know with all of the pornographic literature and pornographic imagery that they want to put on the shelves. We know about all of the uh, the other different sexualization things that they are doing to come for our kids and to really warp them at a very young age into a, a very uh, radicalized mind. But my goodness, to literally just take the story of God, of, of heaven and hell, of good and evil, and to flip the script and put it in cartoon form form on a on a on an Amazon streaming platform where kids can watch this all i can say is parents for goodness sakes if you have not been engaged already in your kids' lives and seeing what they are being taught and what they're being exposed to, please know about this and keep your kid away from this screen. And make sure that you don't pay for this. Make sure that if you are a, a prime customer, make sure your kid can't see it, at least on your television. Well, and I think maybe that's the take-home. Your words right now are a good summary of this story. Parents, beware. Parents, take responsibility. The days are long gone where you can sit your kid in front of a television or in front of a Disney Channel and go do your, you know, go wash the dishes or go clean the house while your kid is being babysat, per se, by that program. You do not know what your children are being taught any longer via the Disney Channel or the Cartoon Network. You do not know. In fact, maybe you do know, because they're telling you right now that they're not honoring the traditional Judeo-Christian ethic in the programming. In fact, they're tearing it down, they're flipping it upside down, this is just another example of the reversal of definitions, calling men women and, men, and, and women men, boys girls and girls boys, good evil and evil good. 
they're reversing the definitions, which is the original Genesis narrative where biblically we're told that the temptation that Satan brought to Eve was, God told you not to do that. He told you not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because he knows that in doing so, you will become as God. Well, what does that mean? It means you become God. You can decide. You can define what's right and wrong, good and evil. You don't need God any longer to do that. And that's, in Satan's words, a good thing, not a bad thing. And that's what this cartoon represents. That's the message they're teaching your kids. It's extraordinary. And um, I've tweeted it out. Uh, You've tweeted it out. Uh, I want people to see exactly what we don't want your kids to see. You need to know what's going on and need to know where it is. So I just tweeted it out uh, as we began this conversation. So I want people to find that I'm on Twitter. Dr. Piper is on Twitter at Dr. Everett Piper, D.R. Everett with two T's, Piper. And make sure you follow us and see that for yourselves. Let's move on to column one this week. Uh, in the uh, Washington Times, creation or chaos, it's up to you to decide come November. And I don't know how you managed to weave in Alice in Wonderland and Humpty Dumpty into the presidential election cycle, but you did. <laughs> Tell us about creation and chaos. Well, I, I'm, it, again, it's the biblical worldview, creation, versus the secular pagan worldview, and that is chaos. And that's really what we're talking about in almost every story you cover, or I cover on a daily basis, Bob, it's this tension between these two competing worldviews. The biblical worldview believes that in the beginning, God. Okay, and from that statement, the first verse of Genesis, everything else follows. God begins everything. God defines everything. God created everything. And we are the result of God's creative act. It's our responsibility to be good stewards of that creative act and to live within those boundaries. And as a result of that, those self-evident truths, that natural law, that common sense, we will have greater freedom as human beings created in the Imago Dei, the image of God, than we would have otherwise. I just summarized the biblical worldview, Hmm. or at least in some sense. Now, the contrary worldview is there is no God, that we are the consequence of chaos, that we rose up out of the primordial soup, we're the product of radical Darwinism, chance is what leads to our existence, and therefore there is no truth and there is nothing that's right or wrong. We define it, we deconstruct everything, and then we reconstruct everything else in our own image. That's chaos. And that's what we have right now. You've got the Democrat worldview, which is an attitude of chaos. Proof to the point? Look at what's going on. Chaos at the border. Chaos in the schools. Chaos in morality chaos in our economy. There is no right. There is no answer. There is nothing that's wrong. It's all up to the individual, Joe Biden and the Democrats, to define everything for us. If they say they're they're pro-science, they're not pro-science. They deny science for the good of their powerful order. That's all they want. Standing against that is the Republican worldview, a worldview of creation. Ironically, we've got a guy that I don't think is uh, the, the... the moniker of Christianity, Donald Trump representing the, the, the worldview of order, that there is something defined above and beyond the chaos of Darwinism and radical paganism, and that world order is the self-evident truths of our Constitution. I didn't get into Humpty Dumpty and Alice in Wonderland. People can read the article, but obviously there are parallels there. Yeah, no question about it. Um, so since we're talking about creation versus chaos, and since we are kind of marrying this somewhat to November, as you pointed out, this isn't your work, but I, I want to highlight it. I, I teased it in my opening comments in the monologue this morning, the Rod Dreher piece uh, in response to the New York Times piece. This is so extraordinarily important. 
Uh, Donald Trump doesn't have to have been your first choice for president. He wasn't mine. Ron DeSantis was mine, and I know Ron DeSantis was yours as well. But he is absolutely my choice now. And one of the reasons is is because it is an, it, it's, a binary, it's a binary choice here between, you know, potential chaos and actual chaos, potential um, disaster versus actual disaster. The piece in the New York Times that you turned me on to here was an article by one of their op-eds saying they're trying to normalize Trump again. And it features all of the different things that you know people have problems with Donald Trump over and the fact that they're trying to normalize those things. But in the process, they're ignoring what has been, quote-unquote, normalized, in the Biden regime, in the Biden years thus far, I'll let you kind of give a little bit about that because you're the one who sent it to me, and I and I and I find it extraordinarily important for people to know this is what the Biden years look like. Well, it's the poster child of everything I just said: chaos in every way. Yeah. Okay, you've got this uh, drag queen uh, story hour in our public parks, where the Democrats think this is a good thing that you're going to groom your children, your five-year-olds and six-year-olds, teach them how to give dollar bills to drag queens that are performing in front of them in our public parks and our libraries. It's not an exaggeration that's happened, okay? That's normalized in today's culture by the Democrats and the Biden administration. Uh, Biden has normalized transgenderism in the public square. He's appointed transgenders to lead in the military and in nuclear science, et cetera, et cetera. We've seen his appointment of these men dressed in drag that are now elevated to normal status of leadership in our culture. He's normalized uh, pornography in the public schools through books like um, Gender Queer and, uh, uh, and The Bluest Eye. These books that are pornographic, they're showing images to young children in public schools of oral sex, cartoons of oral sex, teaching your kids that this is normal and that it's normal for a boy to claim that he's a girl and a girl to claim that he's a boy. They've normalized the stealing of women's identity, of taking their sports away from them, their scholarships away from them, their bathrooms away from them, and their identity away from them. That's normal in the Democrat worldview right now. And in the meantime, they bemoan the fact that, well, we're going to normalize Donald Trump again in his mean tweets. Well, what would you rather have when we choose the leadership of the free world? A guy who says bad things, and acts with bad behavior at times and gets vindictive and mean-spirited with his tweets, okay, I don't agree with any of that. He should stop, but at least he's not normalizing this blatant sodomy and debauchery that's running rampant across our culture right now and being celebrated and normalized by the Democrats. You should be asking when you go to the ballot in November, do you want all the stuff that the Democrats have normalized, or will you hold your nose and vote for a guy that needs to shut his mouth once in a while, virtue of his tweets, but yet he is appointing people to the leadership of our country that at least understand the difference between right and wrong. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's a remarkable piece that Roger put together. And again, he didn't do a lot of writing. All he had to do was do a whole bunch of pasting of videos and imagery to show you what has been, quote-unquote, normalized in the Biden administration. And this is what they are telling us to embrace, as opposed to Trump, and as you pointed out, all of the great reasons um, uh, why that is the far, far, far superior choice that we have. Um, okay. Let's move into uh, your second article. And again, I know we have a lot to cover this uh, particular week, but let's do this one, too. Um, Let's talk about the power of education and higher education. I always like to read the question from the the, uh, writer. 
or the reader of yours who wrote in, to say, Dear Dr. E, you, you apparently spent your entire career in higher education, yet you seem very critical of today's universities. We talk about this every week. Can you explain why? Surely you're not opposed to young people pursuing higher education, are you? Fellow professor from Pennsylvania. Take that one away. Well, the answer is obviously no. Um, I'm a blue-collar kid. I don't know how much we've talked about it on your show before, Bob, but my mom and dad did not have high school degrees. My dad was a truck driver. My mom did odd jobs. Um, It was an accomplishment for me to graduate from high school. That was more than what my mom and dad did. I went to college, and it opened a ton of doors that I never dreamed would be open for me throughout the course of my life. I believe in a liberal arts education that teaches you how to think, how to write, how to be rational, how how to be comfortable and engaging in the public square. And I think that um, in and of itself is an education that has changed the Western world. I mean, there's a reason from Oxford and Cambridge to Dartmouth and Harvard and Princeton and Yale that these institutions were founded on the words of Jesus Christ, thou shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Truth, again, opens up um, life for you because it gives you freedom to do things you never would have been free to do otherwise. I believe in education. So it's not education I'm against. It's what it has become. It is not education any longer. It's propagation. It's propaganda. I mean, G.K. Chesterton said education is really the passing on of the soul of the culture to its progeny, the next generation. But then C.S. Lewis comes along a generation later and says, you know, it's not that education is bad per se. It's that without values, we essentially are just educating uh, uh, a more a more evil man. We're educating our culture into degradation rather than elevation. That's Piper paraphrase of C.S. Lewis. And what we need to understand today is that education was founded in a biblical way in the United States. I get sick of people saying, well, you're not supposed to be talking about religion in the public schools. Garbage. Garbage. From Noah Webster to Jay Adams to John Adams to uh, McHenry and other founding fathers, and to Teddy Roosevelt, a hundred years later, we are told that the Bible was the foundation for public education. It was the perpetuation of a biblical worldview in the public school that, what, that was the purpose for the public school at first, because we recognized that we would not have a, a, a constitutional republic if people weren't educated in the self-evident truths that make that constitutional republic possible. So it's not education I'm against. It's just sending our kids off to these schools where they know nothing about what I just said, and they actually come out refuting what I just said as if it is somehow fake news and misinformation. My land, we've educated ourselves into imbecility. I believe that's a quote from a Democrat. I think that's a quote from Monaghan of years gone by, that he's the one who told us that we were in danger of doing that. I might have to save that one. Uh, we have educated ourselves into imbecility. Uh, that's a very, very strong quote, and I think it's exactly correct. We're not against education. We're against what education is doing and what it's become. Last one for you, real quick, Dr. Piper. <clears throat> you uh, shared this with me, and it's something you focused on and posted over the weekend, this past weekend, about DEI. And I find it particularly poignant right now because, um, and, and appropriate right now, I guess maybe is a better way, Charlie Kirk is being called racist for pointing out in a podcast that he did uh, that if he sees a black pilot on a plane he's getting on, he is going to wonder whether or not that person is qualified. 
so Nicole Hannah-Jones, uh, you know, the 1619 Project writer and founder and, and, and fabulist uh, and others have said that it's just flat out racist. But what he's responding to, and the reason he said it is, is um, uh, air- airlines are announcing they are hiring now their pilots who are in charge of hundreds of lives at a time in the in the skies. They're hiring based on quote, uh, quotas, skin color, and sex. Not on the best, not on the most qualified, not on those who I know are going to get you through whatever uh, challenges might be up there, but we're going to do it based on how somebody looks. Charlie is saying, if somebody looks like a quota hire, how can I not wonder if they're a quota hire or if they're a qualified hire? That's what DEI does, and that's what you quoted and wrote about. Tell me more. Well, okay, I'm responding as a biblical Christian right now. So everybody listening that puts themselves in that box of biblical Christianity, there is no way you can tell me or tell yourself that DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, is biblical. Now, why do I say that? Let's go to the words of the Apostle Paul, St. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians. He says this, For he has broken down the dividing wall of hostility, that he might create in himself one man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body. Now, how in the world can you read those words of Paul, where he talks about one man, not two, reconcile uh, ourselves to being one body in Christ, not vulcanizing humanity into competing tribes. This division, this divisive argument, this call to divide ourselves from one another by race and color and sex and gender and culture, this divisive attitude of DEI is the antithesis of the unity we find in the body of Christ. And I've said it with regard to education before. I was the president of a university. I was not the president of a diversity because there's unity in veritas, unity in truth. A university does not divide people or the truth. A a university calls truth together so that people can lock arms as common in humanity and common within the body of Christ and redeem all things for Christ and his kingdom. That's a biblical worldview, and DEI has no place in the church, especially within the evangelical Bible-believing community. Yeah, it has no place in, in, in decent civil society anywhere, much less, as you say, in the evangelical church. Dr. Everett Piper, uh, tremendous job. We got through a lot of good stuff today in our, uh, in our normal allotted time. I don't know how we can't do that every time, but it was phenomenal. Thank you for your insight. Thank you for your brevity when needed. And thank you for uh, being with us each and every week. We'll talk to you next Thursday. Blessings. Bye-bye. Thank you, sir. That's Everett Piper. It's 1027. we got a timeout here. Whew. And the cavalcade of uh, phenomenal guests continues after this. We're going to be talking to Bob Anthony of Nioka. Nioka is, of course, the Northeast Ohio Classical Academy. We've been talking to you about this for, I don't know, a little over a year, I suppose now, at various points in time, about the alternative to government schools and private schools who oftentimes are just as woke as the government schools. How about a Hillsdale-Barney charter school? which is free, no tuition, to get your kid in a charter school in which classical education is featured as opposed to indoctrination. Bob Anthony is on the board and one of the founders of this uh, Barney Charter School that is coming, and uh, he's going to be... Okay, 10.36 now. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. Tremendous conversation with Dr. Everett Piper. He always brings it, and uh, some weeks it just really hits home more than others. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that cartoon coming up after the top of the hour that they are putting on 
uh, Amazon Prime as they try to will you, uh, uh, lure your kids in with some of the most unbelievable stuff you have seen thus far. They're coming after kids in our schools, too. You know this. We uh, It's been an ongoing problem, and it's been an ongoing topic of our conversation for several years now on this radio program, and I'm sure around your dinner table as well. Um, the indoctrination centers, the government-run schools uh, are off the rails, uh, driven in large part by radical teachers' unions who are beholden to radical leftist uh, donors and, uh, and supporters. And sadly, if the answer to that is to go to a private school, you're not seeing much benefit there either. It may not be as bad, but just give it time because it's moving in that direction. Wokeness is infecting even a lot of the private schools, even those that are parochial parochial in nature. They just are embracing all of this division and all of this wokeness. So we've been looking for an answer, and I've been talking to Bob Anthony about Northeast Ohio Classical Academy for over a year at various points in time on the radio about building the alternative, which would be a Barney Charter School, Hillsdale Barney Charter School, which would be a free, tuition-free charter school. So if you're trying to get your kids out of a government school, and you're trying to get them into a better place, you can't afford the right private school, even if it isn't quite woke yet, what are you going to do? The answer is you're going to look very, very closely at the Hillsdale Barney Charter School. Let's bring Bob Anthony back onto the program, and he's brought a guest with him as well. But first, Bob, thank you for joining us. How are you this morning? I'm great, Bob. Thanks for asking, and it's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure indeed, and your special guest is indeed special because you have found the man to lead uh, the new Barney Charter School that Neoka has been working on for so very long now. The new head of school, the first head of school, is Dr. David Baum, who joins us as well. Doctor, good to have you. How are you, sir? I'm great, Bob. Thanks for having us on. It's a pleasure to have you both. So, Bob, let's start with you because we've been talking for some time now. I think the the last time we talked, it was getting close to nailing down the location for the school, the first school in uh, in Northeast Ohio of this kind. We know there are several throughout the state and a few dozen around the Midwest. But um, tell us where the school is going to be. So we've made tremendous uh, strides in a number of our milestones, all of which we've met over the last. <laughs> Two and a half years. Time flies when you're having. Is it fun. that long? It's really gone. Oh my goodness! It's been two and, a, two and a half years since we started down this path. So the the most recent update, uh, December 28th, uh, we closed on our financing, and we also closed on our building. The building is going to be 137 Heritage uh, Woods Drive in Copley Township, centrally located, uh, Interstate 77 and Route 18. We think it's a fabulous location for a number of reasons, but the most important one of which the, uh, the student population in that, in that zone, take a 10-mile radius around that circle, is just extremely uh, important to us. It's a broad-brushed uh, market, if you will. So we're very excited about the potential population we can serve with this Barney Charter School. So in addition to the financing and the building, uh, we're about ready to announce our formal enrollment. That process should start in the next week or so. We've already had for some time now on the website uh, a pre-enrollment kind of initiative. Pleased to say we're at about 125 pre-enrolled students already, even before we started the FET process of formal enrollment. So we're looking for a, uh, a strong showing here in the next couple of weeks as we unveil the formal enrollment portal, if you will. And uh, last but not least, we're about ready to announce, and Dr. Baum can uh, get into this a little bit, we're about ready to announce our opening day of school. 
Uh, it should be that first week in September. So we're about ready to announce that formally, which means the doors will be open to this classical public-private charter school initiative that we we started, like I said, two and a half years ago, and it seems like it was yesterday. On the other hand, it seems like I didn't have gray hair then when I started. So uh, we've, 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 we've come a long way. Before we meet Dr. Baum, um, a couple of uh, important points here. First of all, because um, unless you said it and I missed it, I apologize. K through five is the first year, right? We're going to have K through five that's, availability. That's correct. K, K through five, and we'll be adding a, a grade per year uh, after that, eventually K through 12. Okay. And then the other one is we need a name. What do we call in this school? It's the Northeast Ohio Classical Academy. Oh, so it is just Neoka. Okay, uh, I, I've been yeah, saying Neoka. that for a while. I didn't. I didn't know it was, if it yeah. was going to have an actual name or put you know put, put the name of a famous person or an educator or something on it. Okay, so it's just going to yeah. be the yeah. Northeast Ohio Classical Academy will be the name of the school. Got it. That's so, correct. That's correct. So the head of school is Dr. David Baum. Dr. Baum, let's meet you. Who are you? Where you come from? Tell me about why you want to uh, head this particular project at this particular point in time. Well, that's a bunch of questions. Um, okay, uh, just sort of background-wise, uh, I did my undergraduate at the University of Dallas, which is germane to uh, my travels, and I got my Ph.D. at Yale. Uh, my background is in history, and uh, my undergraduate education was uh, in the great books tradition that the University of Dallas has as a center of its core curriculum. So since I've been in college, I've been interested in sort of great books, Western tradition, promoting it in, through education. Um, and about 10 years ago, I, I was looking for a leadership opportunity, and I had an opportunity at that time to be a head of school for the um, sort of the flagship Great Heart School in uh, Tempe, Arizona. Mm-hmm. And that kind of got me on this path. So this is my third school. Uh, and what I love about it, uh, in addition to working with Bob, uh, who I have, uh, I think, a great rapport with, uh, is that this is um, this got the new car smell. We're doing it from the beginning. We have a great curriculum. Uh, we're going to have a, a building that we put together ourselves, a community that we recruit ourselves, a faculty we train ourselves. Uh, so from from beginning to end, it's going to be a school that we craft, and that, that's exciting to me. Let's talk about curriculum, um, if we can, because um, that's obviously crucial. I want to know what separates, for example, a Barney Charter School from a traditional charter school or maybe some from some of the private and parochial schools as it pertains to curriculum. And, and where do you get it? Do you, do you write it? Do you have a team that is writing the curricula that is, uh, uh, is going to no, be decided Hillsdale there? Hillsdale did that. Yeah, no, Hillsdale, that's that's one of the advantages, the principal advantage of working <clears throat> with Hillsdale for us. We're a curriculum school. Uh, there's about a 600-page document that uh, was crafted when the Barney School Initiative was launched. Uh, it's been revised over time, but it's pretty much been a set document. It goes grade by grade. It goes class by class. It goes month by month. <laughs> So that you have a blueprint that is pretty close to a full-on, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a full-on schematic for what you do. And it's not just across a grade, let's say, where you can open up this book and you say, okay, what are third graders going to be doing? But you can also move between grades and you can see how reading in the second grade is going to link to third and fifth and eighth and ninth grades and so on. So you can go horizontally and vertically. And, and get a real 
picture of how kids' educational development is going to unfold. Um, and so that's invaluable. Yeah, no question about it. If you just turn, turn us on, we're talking to Dr. David Baum. He's the new head of school for NEOCA, the Northeast Ohio Classical Academy, which is going to be opening this September for its first day of school uh, in Copley Township. Its uh, formal enrollment will be underway soon. Pre-enrollment is already underway. We're also talking to Bob Anthony, who is one of the founders of this uh, Barney Charter School. Uh, so, so Bob, um, you mentioned <clears throat> that pre-enrollment is underway, and there's 120 or so. Um, what, what's the difference between a pre-enrollment and a formal enrollment? Formal enrollment is what it says. It's, it's a formal process that we go through. It's, it's outlined by the state in terms of how we go about enrolling uh, students into, uh, into our school. This is a public school, so anyone can, can attend if there's, if there's an open position. That's what I wanted uh, well, to ask about, because when you talk about, I wanted to know the difference between pre-enrollment and formal. I'm asking, is formal enrollment an application process? Do you have to apply to get in? And you, so the answer to that is no. No, there's no application. It's okay. an enrollment process. And what we're in the process of doing now with the pre-enrollment is just trying to let folks know that we're going to be opening up the formal enrollment process. If there was interest prior to that, please let us know what it is <clears> so we can make sure that you're apprised of when that pre-enrollment process ends and the formal enrollment process starts. So that's, so, a, that's a nice segue for us coming up. That, that's huge. And and so since it is essentially a public school, um, it's publicly funded, right? So there's no tuition. Who pays the bills for a charter school that is not tuition-based? For a charter school that's not tuition-based, you mean a public school or a private school? Well, yours, like yours. Well, until the school opens... Uh, and we're not opening until, I could say, September. Mm-hmm. All the monies that we've been able to gather before to keep us going till this point in time has, e- has either come from private donations, mm-hmm. or most recently, when I mentioned we had our financing approved on December 28th, that was a public bond offering that we were successful in, in launching to basically buy the building, outfit the building, hire the teachers, buy the books, set up the desks, et cetera, prior to the funding of the school coming in from the state which won't happen until three months after we're open. So there's been a tremendous amount of financing needed to get us to this point. That's one of those major milestones that I mentioned before, all of which we've met. So we're we're very excited now that we're going to see the opening of the door, literally, in September. But there's been a lot of funding and work done prior to this point to get us here. So, Bob, is there there a huge difference in terms of, extra and co-curriculars at a school like this that is not a typical public school, but again is also uh, publicly funded uh, once it is once it is opened. Um, is you know are there going to be sports teams there when you eventually get it up through you know into the junior high range? Are there other extracurriculars that will be available there? Can you tell us what the experience will be like compared to a traditional public school or a traditional uh, private school for that matter? Sure. There will, there will certainly be co-curriculars. Mm-hmm. Uh, those co-curriculars are in part dictated by the parents of the students and the students themselves uh, participating in the school. We very much want parents to participate in this experience. Uh, the, the charter that we have with, with the state of Ohio is kind of our contract with them. As Dr. Baum mentioned, we have an exhaustive curriculum, courtesy of Hillsdale College, which we'll be following. That, that whole process is a contract between the school and the state, but it's also a contract between us and the parents. The parents will know with total transparency what their students are going to be learning, how we're going to be teaching, et cetera. 
that also includes co-curriculars. I'll let Dr. Baum comment on that a little further. But to answer your question, yes, there will be co-curriculars. They'll be somewhat dependent upon the interests of the students and the parents. And we'll be collaborating also with some of the local schools to provide some of the programs that we may not be able to provide early on. For example, football is a tough one to, to handle sure. right out of the gates. Uh, so I'll let, I'll let Dr. Baum explain that a little more in detail with his thought. Yeah, go ahead, Dr. Baum. Sure. Well, um, just to kind of uh, flesh out a little bit what Bob said, um, you know, we anticipate that our school will, you know, Bob was right, parents and, and students are going to drive this by demand. But we anticipate that our students are going to look like students at other schools. And for the most part, they're going to want the kinds of things that are available at a traditional public school or at a, a well-funded private school. And we'll provide those. And we want to do extra and co-curriculars across the board. We would like to have sports that are you know, all, all, totally appropriate at each level. We'll probably introduce those when we get to middle school, K through five. You know, we're we're not going to necessarily be doing uh, scholastic sports, um, and there are other options for kids at that uh, at that age level. And we'll do some intellectual and artistic stuff as well. We'll have, if there's interest, we'll fund a robotics club. We'll do. I'd love to see debate and argumentation. That's an awesome one. So we'll we'll be encouraging kids to think about this and parents to support it. So I would say our profile will look pretty much in this regard like a traditional public school. So you know, Dr. We'll provide Baum, what they provide. D- Dr. Baum, tell me about staff and faculty now. Because, again, as I kind of introduced you guys, I, I think one of the biggest problems with many of the traditional government schools right now is, you know, the teachers' unions. And um, they, they come in with an agenda that is sometimes beyond and maybe not compatible with true education, certainly not with classical education. So what can you tell us about the kind of teachers you will be looking for and, and hiring? So a uh, great question, Bob. So um, one of the, the um, pools that I think we'll be able to draw from, in fact, will be public school teachers who are disaffected or disenchanted with that particular experience. So we welcome them to reach out and make inquiries. Um, we obviously we're, we have um, advertisements that are going out. We're going to be positively recruiting. But if anybody's listening to you out in uh, the world of education, reach out to us um, if uh, you would like to have an experience where you know some of the things that maybe di- are disenchanting in the public school or motivating you to think new career reach out to us. I'd love to have experienced teachers who are looking for that opportunity. I'm also looking for um, young people who are coming right out of college who are you know, a little idealistic, maybe not you know, super well prepared pedagogically. We'll take care of that. We'll do the development the training there. Uh, and among those, I'm looking actually to have some recent Hillsdale uh, grads on our faculty just so that there's a, um, a group of faculty who have that sense of what the Hillsdale mission is sort of more deeply embedded in them than some of the others and can in fact be a resource. So those are you know some of the uh, characteristics. What we're really looking for are teachers who want to combine the two things that our school I think is going to do uniquely, which is combine combining not only traditional academic training, but also character or moral development. That's the that those are the twin pillars of these schools. Uh, we're trying to educate smart kids. We're also trying to create good citizens who make good choices. Yeah, and, so and I'm going to very... be looking for teachers to do to, to be models and to be um, be able to teach that. 
So you're probably not that interested in old radio guys whose last year teaching was 1996. I'll hire you on the spot, Bob, as long as, <laughs> as, long as you think you're willing to take a modicum of direction, you're hired. <laughs> so, so, Dr. Baum, um, I have to, I'm glad to hear what you just described about the pillars, and I'm glad you just told me the kind of teachers you're looking for, the ones who are disaffected by what's going on in the current public schools. How will you combat wokeness, though, at Neoka when you have a student coming in and saying, no, I'm not a he, I'm a she, or I'm a furry, or I, you know, any of the things that we see that are dividing people, and I want to read this book here, the things that we're seeing right now that are just flashpoints for division in the current public school settings, how do you deal with that once they show up in, in, in inside the building at Neoka? So I think uh, there's, there's a couple of answers there. First of all, uh, Bob already mentioned, our we have a contract with the state that's very explicit, right? Our charter's 400-plus pages. Our curriculum guide is over 600 pages. We've announced to the world what it is we intend to do. So there's not a lot of room for variation there. You know, we're reading The Velveteen Rabbit in kindergarten. It's already written up. That's the book. If you want to read a different book, take your kid to the library, right? Um, so that's our, you know, that's our contract with the state and with parents. As far, so I don't see a lot of difficulty there. But if, if people come with a different kind of lifestyle agenda to our school, mm-hmm. um, you know, we'll probably have had a chance to talk with them up front. Uh, about, you know, the kinds of things we expect. But as I explained this to, to, to Bob Anthony a while ago, my way of, of uh, dealing with this is to say to parents, um, this may not be the school for you. And I want your kid to have a great education wh- wherever you take your kid. So I'll help you find a school that's more in concord with the kinds of things you're looking for, values and uh, you know, identity expression and so forth. I'll help you find a place, but this is probably not it. That's a very good response. Um, and Bob Anthony, I want you to speak to this too, because maybe I've just become a cynic uh, in in my years of covering all of this stuff and watching it take place. But you know, the 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 bakery in Colorado said I'd be happy to help recommend another bakery to you too, but they said no. I want you to do it because they were trying to cause trouble. I feel like this is going to happen at Barney Charter Schools. Maybe it is in other places. I don't know where people are going to come in. It's public. You can't deny me uh, um, uh, enrollment. Uh, and this is what I want to do it just to cause that problem. Will you be, you know, how, how do you deal with something like that? I think we deal with it with kind of what Dave was just saying. Uh, the curriculum is very uh, explicit. We're announcing to everyone what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, why we think it's important. Uh, that that relationship will be solid between the state and between us and the parents. So there's a uh, there's a commonality there that that enables us to stick to our core curriculum. And a lot of the things we're talking about now on the fringes are are uh, things we're just not going to get involved with directly. It's not education. We're going to teach students how to think, how to become not only uh, articulate in their in their uh, literacy and their numeracy and, and other types of those types of, of uh, activities, but also, as Dr. Baum said, be good citizens, be good people, and learn to be able to think. And a lot of the things we're talking about now on the fringes, uh, the political, the social, uh, don't need to find their way 
into the into the setting that we're trying to create, and and they won't. Uh, we're trying to educate students, not become a mouthpiece for social and political uh, activities for how many, school. How many Barney Charter schools are there in Ohio right now? There are there are twelve uh, Barney schools in the state of Ohio right now. Uh, there's one in Toledo. There's us. We're the only one in Northeast Ohio. Mm-hmm. There are a couple starting up in Columbus. There's one in Cincinnati. There's one in uh, in uh, Athens, Ohio. And there's others uh, in varying stages of development. It's a three-year journey, so, uh, so it, it takes a while for these schools to actually open. But there, of there, course. There are 12 opening now, 12 in that, existence now. That is fantastic. It is good, and I hope that growth just increases uh, exponentially. This is so incredibly important. Everybody is looking for an answer about where they can put their kids, where they won't be exposed to things other than just pure, classical, and important education. Uh, Last thing, Bob, um, uh, where do people go to enroll? Where can they get more information? It's our website, www.neocacademy.org. we have all of our information, parent information nights are weekly. I encourage people to come and uh, take advantage of that. Dr. Baum is there to actually answer questions and do a presentation. And we're going to be having a number of events this spring, open houses and fun days and hard hat days and a number of other activities. So check out the Fantastic. website and you'll be able to follow our progress. And yeah, thanks and so if, much. You bet. And uh, if you need to just search it out, it's Northeast Ohio Classical Academy. You will find your way to that website so that you can indeed learn more. And then again, get your kid enrolled when formal enrollment starts very, very soon. Opening day is going to be in the first week of September. It's coming very, very quickly. Bob Anthony, uh, Dr. David Baum, head of school, thank you both so much for coming on and sharing the great news with us. Keep up the great work, and we look forward to that first day in September. We'll talk to you as we uh, as we move toward it. Thanks, Thanks so much. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, seven minutes after 11 o'clock. That makes this the start of hour number three on this Thursday, the 25th morning of the first month in the year of our Lord, 2024. Uh, great conversations all the way through. Uh, today, Dr. David Baum and Bob Anthony. We spoke earlier with Dr. Everett Piper and before that, we spoke with uh, Congressman, former Congressman Jim Renacci, and uh, we have a lot of work to do in this last hour of the program, or the last 45 minutes or so. Dial now if you want to be a part of it at 216-901-0945. You can comment or question anything that you've heard so far, or you can just let me give you a whole bunch of new information that I think it's important for you to have. 
I started the show with this, um, but I didn't get into the depth of it because we wanted to get right into our guests. But I want to talk about this now. I want to talk about what Greg Abbott is doing in Texas, and I want to know why and what it will take to get Mike DeWine and every other red state governor, even little weasels like ours, um, to step up and to stand up and to support Greg Abbott, who's putting himself and probably you know some of his people in jeopardy. He's setting up a showdown between Texas state laws and states' rights and the Department of Justice trying to say that federal law supersedes them. I don't believe it does, but this is the way you know it, it's setting up. And it's going to take, I think, every red state governor to step up and support what Greg Abbott is doing down in Texas. Uh, my friend Daniel um, Horowitz from uh, um, a Conservative Review wrote the same thing. He said, all red state governors should, should unite against the invasion. It's exactly what our founders had in mind to check a nightmarish federal government. You see, this is why we are called the United States of America, not the American Federation that happens to be made up of states. It's the United States. The states come first. Are we united to make one country? Absolutely. But states' rights are paramount, and the founders knew it. James Madison in Federalist 46, explains the recipe for how to accomplish this. He predicted that a federal encroachment would be easily mitigated by state actions because, quote, the means of opposition to it are powerful and at hand. End quote. What is the winning formula? Again, this is quoted uh, by Daniel Horowitz, a conservative review. Quote, the disquietude of the people, their repugnance and perhaps refusal to cooperate with the officers of the union, the frowns of the executive magistracy of the state, the embarrassments created by legislative devices, which would often be added on such occasions, would oppose in any state difficulties not to be despised, would form in a large state very serious impediments and where the sentiments of several adjoining states happened to be in unison, would present obstructions which the federal government would hardly be willing to encounter. End quote. He's right. In Federalist 46, it is laid out. If the states stand strong in unison, they would present obstructions which the federal government, which means Joe Biden, it means uh, uh, Merrick Garland in the Department of Justice, would hardly be willing to encounter. They will not try to to impose their will on all red states adjoining you know joining one another hand in hand in support of this protection and this national security um, measure they wouldn't do it but if it's just one state that is left standing alone standing in the breach watch and see if Garland and the DOJ and Biden doesn't order them to do whatever they have to do, including and possibly up to arresting Governor Greg Abbott for saying, you know, we're going to ignore the Supreme Court. Now, I should point out there should be no such punishment for ignoring the Supreme Court, which said that the feds can cut down the razor wire if they want, for now, because Joe Biden himself has no respect for the federal government. And you know this, or I'm sorry, not the federal government, the Supreme Court of the United States. And you know this. How do you know this? Because he has been ordered to stop forgiving federal student loan debt. And the headlines just continue almost every week, maybe every other week. We see a new headline. Here it is. 
White House cancels $5 billion in student loan debt for 74,000 borrowers. $5 billion! The White House said more than half of them, uh, of those receiving loan forgiveness, are teachers and nurses and firefighters and others who took work in the public sector. I don't give a rat's red A about that. How are you doing this when the Supreme Court said you cannot do this? If you're telling us the court uh, 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 doesn't matter, then clearly you can't rely on the Supreme Court's order to let you keep cutting the, t- the uh, uh, borders down, uh, the uh, barbed wire down, the razor wire down. You, you can't count on that being respected by Governor Greg Abbott, and it's not, nor should it be. So far, to my knowledge, only one governor has stepped up to support Greg Abbott in this. So far, Governor Ron DeSantis, as expected, best governor in America. By the way, DeSantis Abbott, I could see that in 28, would be a nice, nice little ticket. But Ron DeSantis tweeted yesterday, quote, If the Constitution really made states powerless to defend themselves against an invasion, it wouldn't have been ratified in the first place, and Texas would never have joined the Union when it did. Texas is upholding the law while Biden is flouting it. Florida will keep assisting Texas with personnel and assets. That is what leadership looks and sounds like. What I want to know is who else is going to stand shoulder to shoulder with Greg Abbott other than Ron DeSantis? Where are you, Kevin Stitt, in Oklahoma? Where are you, Christy Noem? I want all red state governors to step up and say, we are there with Greg Abbott. Uh, If you invade one of our states, you invade all of our states. As for Abbott himself, his response to the Supreme Court decision was nothing less than heroic. Quote, The federal government has broken the compact between the United States and the states. The executive branch of the United States has a constitutional duty to enforce federal laws protecting states, including immigration laws on the books right now. This is all part of Abbott's statement released yesterday. President Biden has ignored Texas's demand that he perform his constitutional duties. He went on to write, James Madison, Alexander Hamilton, and the other visionaries who wrote the U.S. Constitution foresaw that states should not be left to the mercy of a lawless president who does nothing to stop external threats like cartels smuggling millions of illegal immigrants across the border. End quote. He then cited Article 4, Section 4, which Peter Kirsten outcited for us on Tuesday, in which the federal government is compelled to, quote, protect each state against invasion. End quote. And Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3, which says states have a, quote, sovereign interest in protecting their borders, end quote. Abbott's statement went on to say the failure of the Biden administration to fulfill the duties imposed by these articles. For these reasons, I have already declared an invasion under Article 1 to invoke Texas's constitutional authority to defend and protect itself. The authority is the supreme law of the land and supersedes any federal statutes to the contrary. The Texas National Guard, the Texas Department of Public Safety, and other Texas personnel are acting on that authority, as well as state law, to secure the Texas border. Again, Greg Abbott. Can you dig it? (laughs) 
Texas authorities took control of Shelby Park in Eagle Pass, Texas, on January 11th after Abbott declared an emergency. The Department of Homeland Security then alleged that Texas prevented Border Patrol agents from responding to to a drowning two days later. They tried to say that Texas's exertion of their own authority here stopped federal agents from saving lives in the river as the illegals tried to cross. The Biden Department of Justice then admitted in a January 15th court filing that by the time the federal authorities were notified of the drownings, the incident had already occurred. No one stopped them. No one working for the state of Texas stopped Border Patrol agents from rescuing drowning people. This was an abject lie told by the Biden administration to make Abbott and those who are trying to protect uh, the state of Texas look like racists who don't care about drowning brown people. That they stopped them from doing it. It never happened. And Biden's Department of Justice admitted it quietly, but Biden hasn't said a word. Not a word. And that is ticking Greg Abbott off as well, as it should. The state of Texas wants an apology and a public announcement, a public pronouncement, that the the, the story that was told by the federal government was a lie. No Texas um, agents or any others, Rangers, National Guardsmen, or any others who took control of that area to try to, again, protect the people of Texas, did anything to stop federal authorities from going into the river and trying to rescue people. They want a public pronouncement. They won't get it, though. Nothing. They'll get nothing because that's what the Biden administration thinks of you. They think that you're too stupid, and they think that you won't care, no matter what they say. So DeSantis is backing Abbott. When will other red state... Uh, red state governors step up and do the same thing. When will they? Because somebody has to act against this lawless. And when I say lawless, what am I talking about? When I say lawless regime, I'm talking about literal open admissions by the quote-unquote border czar, also known as the uh, uh, vice president, Kamala uh, Diversity Hire Harris. I'm talking about her open admission that their only goal here isn't to secure the border. Their goal here is to process more illegals faster, and then give them voting rights. We should have a bipartisan approach to fixing this problem, which is a long-standing problem. But what are those solutions? The solutions include putting resources at the border to do what we can to process people effectively. You notice she didn't say put resources at the border to deter and repel invasion. She wants them to greet them faster and process them into the United States more quickly. Why? And putting in place laws that actually allow for a meaningful meaningful pathway to citizenship. Which means voting rights. They're making it clear they're not even hiding it anymore. It's incomprehensible how anybody can see it otherwise. And moreover, how anybody can possibly support it. This cannot be allowed. We literally are surrendering this country to globalists. 216 Let's go to um, Dan in Middleburg. Hey, Dan, go ahead. Thank you for taking my call. And I've tried to talk to this about this mm-hmm. to you in past calls, and this is fundamental to where we're at right now in our country, unfortunately. And uh, the remedy is, you, you mentioned, you know, Hamilton and Madison, you know, with the Constitution. And, and last night I, I reread for the hundredth time the, uh, the, the Article 4, 
I believe Section 4, 3 or 4 that you're talking about? Yeah, Section Where four. the government is, is obligated to protect the states? Correct. Well, that, that section says the legislature, if you read the whole thing, there's only four lines there in that article, okay? The legislature has its supersedes the executive. That's part of the problem here. Okay? They, this isn't about legislature state. versus executive, Dan. This is about state versus federal rights. This is a I state's rights to protect to, itself. Let me explain it to you, please. No, okay? Dan, I, Dan, I'll tell you what. I'm done. Thanks for the call. I don't want to hear your explanation. I'm getting a little bit put off by this constant uh, same beating of the same drum with the same ridiculous statements over and over and over again. And I'm really, really getting tired of it. You need to take a break. Take a break from calling. Take a break from the show because you continue to say the same redundant, repetitive things to try to advance this thing that the legislature can do all of it. You cannot do that. This issue is about does the state have the right to protect itself if the federal government is reneging on its obligation, its constitutional obligation to protect each state from invasion. That's all this is about. You're trying to muddy the waters with your agenda, and I'm just, I'm, I'm just kind of full of it right now. Um, Lisa in Medina. Lisa Woods. Go right ahead, Lisa. Hey, Great show. Actually, great week of uh, different people on your show. Thank you, Bob. Thank you for having uh, Bob Anthony and uh, Headmaster David Baum on the show today. Um, I um, I don't know if some people know that I'm a fellow founding board member of NEOCA as well, and uh, we've worked really hard to get to this point, so that was awesome. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, also, we have a McFan meeting coming this uh, Saturday, and we will have uh, Chris Long, the president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. And boy, does he have a lot to cover. Um, you know, Chris is the president of the Ohio Christian Alliance and um, a public policy voter education organization that represents Christian interests. And he'll be speaking about... Um, House Bill 68, and he was there yesterday, along with Pastor Al Davis. Um, and so they have firsthand account of what happened yesterday. Also, uh, he'll be talking about the important congressional races in Ohio. And some of us don't even realize there's other races in Ohio that the nation is watching, which is really interesting. And Chris really has, uh, you know, um, his the pulse of this that's going on and then also his book and the uh and and what he's done in dc with the um um d-day d-day memorial fantastic so there's so much to talk about and he'll be taking questions too and that's tomorrow at the thirsty cowboy chris uh, tomorrow you mean saturday right oh saturday sorry you know i'm calling today because i'm babysitting my granddaughter in the morning and i don't know if i'd be able to call (laughs) i kind of figured that might be the case normally you make your mcfan call on fridays but uh, i figured there must have been something going on but no it's good and you're right about everything you just said about pastor long and his book is a tremendous recounting of the incredible over 10-year journey to uh to have that d-day memorial prayer added and it's a it's a phenomenal thing it's a phenomenal accomplishment of which he should be very very proud and he will have a great a great talk on saturday i have no doubt uh lisa yeah, thanks thank so you. much I... okay thank you so much. always a pleasure hearing from you 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110 if you want to react to any of the stuff that we just talked about you can do so i do have other stories i want to get to though charlie is next charlie you're on the air go ahead hey bob thank you for taking the call yeah, Lisa's not in medina anymore she 
she's running McMahon out of Medina, but she just moved to Lorain County, which I'm really happy about. I saw her at a precinct committee meeting. Uh, she's running for precinct committee. Good. So Fantastic. She's active. she's active. Yeah, she just moved to Lorain. Closer to me. I mean, I'm in Brownhill. Perfect. Hey, um, I like Greg Abbott. I, I wouldn't mind him as a vice presidential pick. I think uh, he, he, he's steady. He's, uh, you know, calm. He doesn't seem to get real, you know, out of hand. I, you know, I like him. But you know what? I was thinking Texas, if they keep pressuring Texas, Texas is the only state in the union that's able to leave the union because they voluntarily joined. And there's a clause in their constitution and ours that allows them to leave. They should make threats or take steps because this is an invasion and it's an invasion of their state. You know, most of them are coming through Texas. So, you know, they could at least, uh, you know, make overtures that, hey, we can leave if you don't allow us to stop this invasion. Well, I'll tell you what, if, you know, obviously I don't want to think like this in any way, shape or form because we love Texas. Uh, and, and the idea of it seceding from the union is, is, is a bridge that I do not want to cross. But you know what? Yeah, they ought to at least talk about it. They ought to at least discuss it because if the, if the Constitution means so little to the current federal government, particularly the executive, if the constitutional responsibilities and obligations to protect all 50 states mean so little to them, then they are literally on their own. If they've got to establish their own border policy, then why can't they establish their own economic policy? Why can't they establish their own uh, uh, military policy and so on and so forth? Everything uh, that they have to do. They have enough land. They would be they would already be, be bigger than uh, with just Texas, be bigger than a lot of countries in, in Europe uh, on their own. So I don't like to think about that. But absolutely, you know, I, somebody I, needs to make it clear to the president of the United States that Texas, you need Texas probably more than Texas needs you. And if you're going to ab- you know, abdicate your responsibility to provide security for them, which the Constitution says you must, to me, number one, it's impeachable. It's a treasonous act by Biden. But number two, you are essentially telling Texans they don't matter. And if that's the case, then Texas has a right to do what they got to do. Right. It would be a shot across the bow to wake them up because, hey, they're able to do it. Let's you know, stop this nonsense. Because this is going to affect us forever. This is not, you know, unless we can deport every single one of these people, this is going to affect us for the rest of our lives. No doubt. What, what, no Biden, doubt about it. what Biden has done. Thank, yeah. you, and for the, thank you, Charlie, for the call. If, for those who don't know, too, I'm going to quote something here for you from the Smithsonian. Article 4, Section 3 of the Constitution says Congress must approve any new states. But Texas's claim to an exception comes straight from the 1845 Joint Congressional Resolution that admitted Texas into the Union. And it reads, new states of convenient size, not exceeding four in number, in addition to the said state of Texas, and having sufficient population, may hereafter by the consent of said state be formed out of the territory thereof, which shall be entitled to admission under the provisions of the federal Constitution. And those who support this say that means Congress pre-approved a breakup of Texas from the United States. And I believe they're right. And so do a lot of other constitutional, I shouldn't say other, I'm not a constitutional scholar. I'm just reading what I can read. But those who are constitutional scholars say the same thing. So thank you for the call. Appreciate it. 216-901-0945. Quick time out here at the bottom. Don't break, I'm told. Okay, we got... Yeah, so so Seth is screwing it all up back there at the uh, control studio, I think is what I was just told. Seth uh, Seth broke the, the computer. He broke the computer. He broke the board. He probably, well, he, he can't break his leg. He only has one left. Uh, but, no, in, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm teasing, of course. Seth said everything froze. 
So I that's did break okay. everything. I apologize. But but I'm going to blame Seth only because um, Marianne doesn't have her microphone to defend herself if I blame, blame Marianne. So we're going to blame Seth. Um, we'll get that fixed as soon as we can. Let me just lay out the rest of what I want to do then <clears throat> after the bottom of the hour. In addition to your phone calls, I ran down a very long list of things that I wanted to cover here, and I'm going to. Um, as we get closer and closer to essentially declaring the general election on, we don't wait until the end of the um, end of the um, um, for crying out loud, now I'm drawing a blank on the, the uh, conventions. We don't need to wait for the summer conventions because the nominees have already been made. It's Joe Biden and, and Donald Trump. That's the way it's going to be. As we get closer to that, we have to ask ourselves. Go, do you remember the Reagan question? Are you better off, when Reagan was running for re-election, are you better off than you were four years ago? And that's why he won a landslide 49-state victory uh, against Walter Mondale in um, uh, 1984. And that's how he got reelected. So the question of did or are you better off now than you were four years ago is something we should ask ourselves now. The Federalist put together a very, very comprehensive answer to that question. Are we better off now than we were four years ago? Or in this case, just a little over three years ago with the Biden administration. I'm going to share some of the answers. You already know the answers because you're living them. You're feeling them. But I'm going to share some of the answers the Federalists gave because it really will underscore it for us as we march toward uh, taking this country back in November. So I'll share that with you on the other side. Seth, did you fix what you broke? Sex, Seth. All right, 1136. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420. The answer, we got time for a few more phone calls before the top, or before the end of the show, I should say, is Bill O'Reilly takes us to the top of the hour and a little Charlie Kirk. I didn't hit the Charlie Kirk story. It was one of the ones that I had listed. <clears throat> at the top of the show, um, uh, but I didn't get very specific on it. I want to play this for you if I can. Let me see if it's uh, readily available. Uh, I think that it is. But this is Charlie Kirk doing a part of a, a podcast, uh, I suppose it was, uh, with a host of others, kind of a panel discussion. And they're talking about the DEI problem with the airlines because the airlines are essentially um, saying we are not going to hire the most qualified pilots. We're going to hire them based on what they look like. And he expressed an opinion that, um, you know, I think is fair and I think it's real and I think it's reasonable to have. But he's being called a racist for it. And that's why I think this United story and the DEI story yes. hits so hard because we've all been in the back of a plane when the turbulence hits or when you're flying through a storm and you're like, I'm so glad I saw the guy with the right stuff and the square jaw get into the cockpit before we took off. And I feel better now. Thinking no, I mean, about like, that. you want to go thought crime? Like, I'm sorry. If I see a black pilot, I'm going to be like, boy, I hope he's qualified. Well, well, that's the you wouldn't have done that. You wouldn't have. You no, wouldn't have done that not, before. That's not an immediate. No, you wouldn't that's have done not that before. who I am. That's no. not what I believe. It is the reality the left has but created. I, I, I'm, I'm, and that's exactly right. It is the whoever that co-host was or other panelists. Uh, exactly right. This is what the left has brought on. Charlie never would have said that ten years ago, before DEI. I wouldn't either. I wouldn't question if I had a black surgeon. Oh, and question, if I had a black pilot, I don't give a rip what you look like. Are you really good at what you do? Are you the best at what you do? Then let's go. I don't care. You can have six arms. I don't care. But if the people that hired you have made public pronouncements that they are hiring people who look like you just because they look like you and not because they're the best at their jobs, I'm going to be worried. If my life is in the balance. Now, if 
if if the local store announces that they're hiring cashiers and they're going to prioritize one color over another to bring equity to the cashier staff at the store, I'm going to oppose it because it means they are indeed using racial discrimination, which is illegal to to hire one person over another based on what they look like. I'm going to oppose it, but I'm not going to be afraid of it. I'll be fine because all you're doing is ringing up my stuff. God willing, I can find a store that still rings up stuff and doesn't make you do it yourself, but you get the point, right? But if the hospital or medical center I'm going to is doing that with doctors and surgeons, if the airline I'm flying is going to do that, this isn't just ringing up my stuff. My life is in your hands now, and I would like to know that my life is in the hands of somebody who's qualified, not somebody who is a diversity hire because of DEI. Charlie Kirk is right. And Nicole Hannah-Jones and every one of these other race-baiting CRT 1619 project pieces of flotsam and jetsam need to check themselves and understand they're the ones who are creating all of this with their DEI initiatives. Sorry, but not sorry. Sean, you're in Westlake. Go ahead, Sean. Derek in Richfield. Derek, you're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Hey, Bob. Thank you. Thank you, Nicole. Um, so just real quick, so when the Supreme Court um, reversed affirmative action, that was only for admissions in, in universities, correct? I'm, I'm sorry, say, say it again? Well, last year, remember, the Supreme Court voted against affirmative action. Did that only apply to admissions? Uh, well, speci- specifically, it applied to two universities, Harvard and North Carolina, because they were the ones named in the in the case. But I think when the Supreme Court makes that ruling, it essentially applies to everybody. When they say that you cannot admit based on race, that you have to admit based on qualifications and so forth, I think that is, you know, again, a, a Supreme Court ruling is, is essentially a precedent that would apply to everybody. Too bad it doesn't apply to the FAA and, um, and other hiring, like pilots you were just talking about. Correct. But, Correct. But, but, but again, but if I may, I'm sorry, Derek, I'll let you finish your thought in a second, but I just want to get this in while I'm thinking of it. But again, it shouldn't take a Supreme Court ruling for that because we have the Civil Rights Act. We passed the Civil Rights Act and, and, and discrimination based on race or selective hiring or selective housing or selective admission based on race is indeed outlawed. So we don't even need a Supreme Court, court ruling to rule on something that's already been on the books. Right. And the Civil Rights Act, it, it doesn't just say one race or one uh, ethnicity or what, what have you. Um, Correct. Colors. I, I know. Um, but sorry, but so I just called with a question. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's great. Our state legislature, they overrode um, DeWine and even um, yeah, called Governor Abbott just, just for some support and told him, oh, I wish our governor could uh, take a lesson from you. But but so they overrode his veto. So this, um, you know, the Safe Act, uh, State Women's Sports Act, it just seems that, I mean, that it's obviously the total opposite of that terrible issue one constitutional monstrosity that they got through here. And, and then, of course, the heartbeat bill. But is there any idea how this is going to work out if they have that constitutional amendment in place? Well, I'll tell you this. Um, it's going to go to court. It's going to, is going to file a lawsuit to say that this law that was just passed by the legislature and, and the override of the veto is unconstitutional because of that amendment. So it's going to hit the courts. But the good news is, the state of Ohio's top lawyer, the Attorney General Dave Yost, announced yesterday that he will absolutely defend the state of Ohio's passage of this law when this, when this comes to court. So we will have the Ohio Attorney General in the court 
arguing that what we just did and what, what, what the override just did is exactly correct because, in large part, of the vague language in the constitutional amendment they passed. Too many terms are um, uh, undefined or, or poorly defined or vaguely defined in that for it to run and take precedence over uh, a law like the SAFE Act that was just passed and the Save Women's Sports Act, which is very, very clear and defined in its, in its goals and in, in its uh, interpretations. So, yeah, it's going to go to court. There, there's going to be a fight. It'll probably end up in the Supreme Court, which is why you probably know this, Derek, as well as anybody who listens and pays attention. The races for Supreme Court justice are as important, if not more important, than the race for governor or the race for lieutenant governor or any other position, statewide elected office in this state. We need to make sure we have a conservative, originalist Ohio Supreme Court in the same way we try to get that with the with the uh, federal Supreme Court. Of course, and just just such a shame. I mean, the justice justices are not supposed to be biased in one way or the other. It's supposed to be the law itself, interpreting the law, not the we That's right. That. Um, but, and it, it, just one last thing, this is about the Classical Academy. Sure. Um, if, I, if I may, thank you. Um, no, just want to say, anyone listening, um, uh, our children are enrolled in, um, in Heritage Classical Academy, um, actually a hybrid between homeschool and they go there half of the week in, you know, in person in class, and, and it does make a huge difference. Uh, anyone Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com